that time of the week again. It is Flat Out RC podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. A big thank you to everyone that is tuning in once again. The repeat offenders, you know who you are. Thanks for joining us again. I always say every episode's a good episode because they are. We're talking model aeroplanes. It's hard to get this wrong. If you're an avid aero modeler, this is the place to be for the next hour and a half or whatever it's going to take. Uh, we've got a good special guest. You know, guests are the, are the feature of this podcast. If you're new to this podcast, I interview guests that are aero modelers. And they might not be famous aero modelers, but they're avid aero modelers. And as I always say, if I tap you on the shoulder and invite you to be on the podcast and you say to me, oh, I've got nothing to say, trust me. Everybody has a story, uh, and so you're welcome to be on the podcast. So today's guest is Clive Hodder, who has again been a long-time aero modeler. So we are going to have a good chat with him. So stay tuned. But before we get to that, let's have a look at what's happening around the traps. Okay, as I normally do, I normally run through some events that people have sent me to help uh, publicise, which I'm happy to do. So I'll get through a few of them pretty quickly because we've got we've got a whole bunch of events happening down here in Australia, uh, especially down to the Victorian New South Wales area because I'd, I'd promote stuff that's happening elsewhere. If you just send me, I can't keep abreast of every single flying event, but uh, if you want to send stuff through to me, just uh, please do. Just jump onto the flatoutrc.com.au website and send me a message. Or get on the Facebook page and send me a message on that. Um, okay, so big event, the big turbine event for the event for the year is happening. The Wang Jets event, fourteenth to the seventeenth of March at the Wangaratta Airport. Now, if you're into turbine flying, you know about this event. You don't need me to tell you, but it's four days of flying fun from the fourteenth to the seventeenth of March. Bring your turbine powered models. You can bring your turbo props if you like, but you know you don't want to bring your nitro. Glow motor, um, or your DLE thirty powered model. You, it's all turbines, uh, predominantly jets. Um, so yeah, all MAAA pilots. There is an entry fee. You can win a jet. Early bird special. It ends very soon, the 29th of February. You've got to register by then to be eligible. Be a composite model, kindly donated by Dragon RC. There's a whole bunch of other sponsors as well. Kintech and. There's an Aircraft Australia and Advanced Radio, of course, and Land Down Under Aerosports. So big thank you to all the sponsors of the event. Now, you can register online at vjaa.team, T-E-A-M, app, A-P-P dot com, vjaa.teamapp dot com, vjaa.teamapp.com. Uh, that's where you can register. Get in quickly before the 29th. Now, I'm just thinking this is now, I'm recording this on the Sunday before the Wednesday you got a day. You've got a day to, to get in for the early bird special to um to win that uh that jet. There are some other prizes as well that's gonna be around, but dumps get in early. It does help the organizers plan everything if they know some sort of numbers. So get on board, Wang Jet event, 14th to 17th of March. I'm hoping to get on down. I'm not gonna fly, but um I will get on down to that event probably on the Saturday is my plan at this point in time. Uh, okay, um, the, what comes after that? The Bairnsdale Action Scale Rally, all-scale rally, 9th and 10th of March. Uh, gates will open from the 8th to the 11th of March because 
they always know that people come early and stay late. So you're more than welcome to come from the 8th to the 11th of March. But 9th and 10th of March, that weekend, there's a long weekend down here in Victoria on the Monday. I know that. So people may hang around if the weather's good. Uh, Pilot's Choice Civilian and Military, so um, you can win a prize. Um, camping is available at the field, which is always good, $10 per night. Toilets and hot showers are there and clean amenities as well. Barbecue, fire pit, uh, disabled amenities as well. Catering on site, it's all happening. Bansdale Action Scale Rally, 9th and 10th of March. Get on down to the Bad Mac Club uh, if you're down in Victoria, down in the town of Bansdale. Top in uh, Bansdale and District Model Aero Club into Google and you, it shows up on the map. Okay, uh, and then finally, one more just to mention is the Geraldery Scale Glider Rally this Easter 2024, Friday the 29th of March to the 1st of April. This is another annual event. It's a big scale glider rally that happens at Geraldery, which is a great place for flying gliders in the middle of the uh, the racetrack there. So if you are that way inclined and have some scale gliders, which I love, by the way, I don't have one, but I would one day I will. Uh, if you're into scale gliders, this is the place to be. Uh, they'll have glide tugs and all that that kind of stuff happening. And, of course, all the fun that happens around these big events that happen after hours as well. So uh, get on board. The, the best thing I can say is if you want to know about this event, jump onto the Scale Soaring Australia Facebook page, Scale Soaring Australia, and um, you'll see uh, some publicity for it because there's some big links there to, to register and stuff like that. Um, there's a $20 registration fee this year. Um, you must have MAAA membership and all models over 7 kilos you must have heavy model certs all the usual stuff you guys know what it's all about um, so yeah it's held at the Gerildery Race Course Gerildery Scale Glider Rally Easter 2024 March 29th to April the 1st so there you have it uh, so some good events there to get on down to, and there's more coming. I know that um, the Ball Ball Radio Club's got their event happening in uh, March. No, April. Um, that's the uh, float fly date. So I will publicize that a bit more when I've got the details at hand. Uh, but anyway, all is good in the, that front. Um, just some thoughts on my mind. I was just thinking, oh, I got a message from a mate of mine. This has got a new trailer to cart models and uh, I'll tell you what it gets me thinking about how much we invest into our hobby uh, that you know these trailers that we have I've got a trailer as well and, and it is uh, if you're going to fly big models you need to transport them some way and the best way to do it is really to put them in a trailer but uh, they're not cheap things to, to have but we obviously do it because we value the experience and uh, you know my trailer doesn't see the light of day very often but I'll tell you what they're actually a good investment trailers. They don't really depreciate like cars do, as long as you keep them in good condition. And mine's uh, mine's always been garaged. It always helps if you can, you know, put your uh, put your trailer in a shed because it really uh, can keep them looking pretty brand new. So mine's um, mine's not bad at all for a trailer that's probably now eight years old. I'd say, at least eight years old, seven to eight years old. Uh, but um. So, yeah, trailers are a very popular thing now. When you go to a flying event, you'll always see a truckload of trailers. And they do they do make transporting model aeroplanes a lot easier, as I said, especially the large scale. But uh, how much are you willing to spend on your trailer, all the ancillary stuff that goes with model flying? I think I've got myself covered. I'm pretty satisfied with my hobby 
investment, my models that I have, there's nothing really, you know, there's always something else we'd all, always love to have. Like, you know, if a good super chipmunk came around, I'd probably say yes. And I've, as I mentioned earlier, Scar Glider, they're probably the only two things that uh, fascinate me at the moment. I don't need any more jets or aerobatic planes. I've got 200cc as I hardly have flown one. I think I've done one flight on one of them. So I've got more than enough stuff to keep me occupied and a lot of stuff that uh, will keep me occupied for many, many years. So I'm doing pretty well on that front. I probably should sell some stuff. If anybody wants to buy some old FPV gear, I've got a whole bunch. Um, I should get rid of it um, because I don't really fly. I've got one of those DJI FPV drones and they're pretty good. So that sort of, if I need to go and do a bit of FPVing, I'm happy to just fly that because the vision out of it's phenomenal. So that could be the option. But anyway, trailers. How much are you willing to spend? Uh, but uh, they're needed. If you're going to fly big planes, they're needed. I'll leave it at that. Well, it's guest time, my favourite part of the podcast. And, you know, I'll tell you what, the, the, I'm going to be honest with you. The hardest part about doing this podcast is not actually producing the podcast and having a chat with the guests. I love that bit. That's the easy bit. It's always finding guests. And uh, I've... I've had a lot of good guests on already and um, you start ticking names off the list and you go, okay, well, done them, done them, done them. And sometimes I invite people back, um, you know, to have a chat and we've got a few regulars, that kind of thing, which is always fun. Um, but I, I was going through Facebook and I was going, oh, who can I get, who can I get? And then the name Clive Hodder came up and, I, and I've seen Clive around the traps and been Facebook friends for a while. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him to see whether he wants to come in on and tell his stories. And of course, straight away he said yes, which is thank you, Clive. Uh, Clive comes from New South Wales, uh, an avid aero modeler, has dabbled in a lot of different things um, in, the, in the hobby over many, many years. So I love talking to these kind of people because they've got sort of a, a wealth of history um, dating back to the 70s and the early days of radio control and things like that, uh, even though Clive's not that old. But uh, but avid aero modeler, done a whole bunch of stuff, loves building, into turbine jets, you name it. There's something for everybody in this chat uh, with Clive Hodder. So let's get into it. Here's my chat with the one and only Clive Hodder. Well, we're going up to New South Wales to sunny and hot Sydney. Clive Hodder, thanks for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. My pleasure, Andrew. Uh, glad that I can uh, discuss my love of uh, air modelling. Well, well, that's what we love to hear. Now, we've been having a chat off air about the weather and uh, we're we're in the middle of a hot spell. I'm I'm record I record in my bedroom because you know, you're a musician, Clive. You know what soft furnishings can do to dump uh, to to dull down the reverb in the room. Uh, yeah. And I've had to turn yeah. the air conditioning unit off. So uh, I'm going to be hot by the end of this, but that's all right. Um, no worries, Clive. Best yeah. place to start with our chat is tell me about how you got into aero modelling. It's one of my favourite questions to ask, actually. So where did your journey begin in aero modelling? Look, I'd have to say I grew up in Bankstown in the flight path of Bankstown Airport. And ever since I was a little tacker, I used to see low-level light plane Cessnas and stuff 500 feet going above me. And I used to pester my dad and say, Dad, how's that? how does that stay up in the air? And it was that point that just intrigued me <laughs> about aeroplanes. And then... Uh, I suppose getting on to uh, how I got into aero modelling, I um, my first plane was a Hustler. Oh. I don't, but people probably don't remember that, but that's many many moons ago. Everybody in Australia knows what the Hustler is. 
Yeah, and uh, I used to have my uh, favourite uh, Labrador. He was my mate that used to come down to the – I used to go out to Cronulla, actually, behind the um, – you can't, you can't do it these days. Behind Cronulla High School, there was a really big open area before that. That's all built up now with multi-million dollar houses. But that was a really big open area, and I used to. I basically taught myself to to fly, and uh, through many crashes, and and in the end, I realised I had to take uh, myself five, uh, five minute uh, epoxy with me to uh, <laughs> put it back together on the as I was flying, and uh, basically taught myself. Um, and then I got into slab sawing. I just uh, I used to go to, <clears throat> in Sydney. Where a lot of people used to go to Stanwell Tops before it was really before hang gliders really took off. Uh, and uh, we had a little group that uh, we used to get into slab sawing, and then we got better and better at it. And we used to uh, make our own and uh, get into a bit of racing slab sawing and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so that's how I, I basically started talking about. 1970, probably 76, 75, yeah, many moons ago, Andrew. That's right, that's right. Uh, I was born in 73, so um, <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm a child of the 70s, but I can't remember a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people can't remember the 70s, actually. But um, Well, if you say you remember them and you're my age, then you really – didn't go through it because they were pretty wild times. Apparently, I hear. <laughs> now, okay, so wait a second. I want to take you a step back. So yeah. the idea of a model aeroplane came into your head because of what that then led you to go and buy the Hustler? Um, it, I was uh, driving, where was it? it? Over on the north uh, Terry Hills. They actually had a, a little model club right on the, the highway that went down to uh, to the northern beaches. It was never allowed these days. Yeah. But that and uh, we're driving, going to the beach, and I said, "Oh, look at that!" <laughs> I kind of got and uh, and I just I was just I was transfixed watching these guys, you know, very rudimentary uh, radio systems. Um, and uh, the fact that these things were flying, and a lot of them were crashing as well. And I also remember one crashing onto the onto the highway and got run over by a car, which was <laughs> sad. Um, but uh, yeah, I, that would never happen these days. You know, uh, safety or oh, council would never allow you to uh, set up a club. But, but there was a lot of clubs that were set up around highways in uh, Sydney. It was very unusual, though mainly in in wastelands where you know you had high power. High tension wires and stuff, uh, and they couldn't build on it. Totally insane, but uh, yeah, and that's basically just from that point on. I said, oh, "I've got to, I've got to get into this," and uh, yeah, got my first hustler. Okay, so it, like I always say, it's like a, most of us got into the hobby because we saw it. Whether it's a control yeah. line model, you know, we were down at the local school and someone was flying control line model and round and round to go. So that's all I wanted to know, and then. And like as you said, the radio gear was sort of a, a lot, you know, was sort of basic back then. What was your first radio system? Was it the Craft or what was it? Uh, it was the Gold Futaba Four Channel. It was very gee. expensive. Yeah, and it was hilarious though because I remember in my toolbox. So I had to turn the plane turned on. I was getting some uh, tools out of the toolbox and I dropped a, a shifter in there, and all of a sudden all the surfaces went haywire. 
So it was the old AM, it wasn't FM, it was AM. And uh, if you hit two pieces of metal together too close to the radio, you get interference. <laughs> it wasn't all that great. So hence there was uh, a lot of uh, crashes and stuff going on. And hence the uh, five-minute hypoxia. <laughs> so, okay, so you take yourself out, you, you sort of go through the, the crash-fix cycle of the early days and then yeah. so what happened after the hustler? Tell me a bit about the progression, the next stage. Yeah. Um, well, so sorry, you went to... slope-soaring, so we know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, I suppose it was uh, very unpredictable where the slope-soaring site was. It had to... Had to be straight on, like a, a southeasterly easterly wind, and that were, what didn't happen very often. Um, so, and especially in winter, it didn't happen at all. They were mainly westerlies. So it was on and off, pretty irregular. So I got really frustrated with wanting to fly. So I thought, I'll, I'll. Uh, that's when I got back into uh, the power thing, and I bought myself a Gemini, oh, Aeroflight Gemini. Gemini. How old are you? Just give us an you know at this bit of an age bracket. Uh, I'm talk, talking seventy seven. I would have been twenty. I would have been twenty one, twenty two. I think. Okay. A bit, a bit older. Twenty. Yeah, twenty two. Um. So, uh, yeah, I suppose com- compared to a lot of people, I got into it a little bit later, but um, yeah. But uh, I'm an old guy now, so I've been doing it a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So you get the Gemini. What size engine was that? Like a 15 or something like that in it? Or oh no, I had a I had a 40 FSR. Yeah. <laughs> was uh, that was gigantic back then? Like that was actually a big motor. You know, talking 77, yeah. 76. It was. I think they only just sort of came out these 40, 45 OS FSRs. So, you know, like, oh, how, gee, that's a big motor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it's all relative, you know, because that, that's when fledgling, the ho- hobby was just a fledgling ho- hobby back then. Uh, and, uh, you know, just finding other people and clubs to fly it was a bit of a rarity. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was a Gemini, and that was a low-wing model, and it was my first foray into sort of uh, ailerons, whereas the Hustler didn't have ailerons. I know you could get an aileron kit for the Hustler, but I had the, just the rudder elevator, which in a way, really, if you could fly a Hustler and do aerobatics with just the rudder and elevator, it really taught you how to fly, you know, it's virtually by the seat of your pants. So graduating from that to... Uh, aileron-winged uh, Gemini that was amazing. I thought, my God, this thing you know, mm-hmm. does axial rolls and I can, you know, it was just fantastic. And that's when I I really started to get into aerobatics as well. I thought, you know, that's, I found uh, that I really liked that. Did, had you joined a club at this stage or not? Uh, yeah, I went to, uh, doesn't exist anymore, that was out at St Mary's. It was, was it called, I think it was called UMAC. Uh, yeah, same. And that, again, that was right near the highway. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. And uh, and that was yeah. That they had quite a few members. I think they had up to about thirty people then, which was a lot, you know, back in those days because the clubs weren't that big. Uh, 30, 40 members, I think. And 
Yeah, so uh, that was my first taste of being in a club. And uh, I was, you know, following the rules and, you know, all that stuff that was getting established. I re- it was fantastic back then. I think the rules are a bit onerous now with all the mops and you can't do this and you can't do that. And uh, back then it was it was a real love, fun thing to do, you know, go to the club. You know, obviously there was rules, had to be safe, and, but nothing like today. I know I'm sounding, sounding really old, but back then it was just a fun thing and you just love to go and and fly and be with your mates and stuff. I still love being with my mates and everything, but there's a lot more rules now. Uh, you've got to follow, oh, especially now that I've got a lot bigger models and, uh, and turbines and stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, there's always this area of having to do the right thing when we go to the flying club, which sometimes can, yeah, I can sort of understand how you can feel like, someone's always watching you and you've always got to be on your best behaviour and that sort of pressure on yourself. And 99% of us will naturally do the right thing. Um, there's yeah. always the 1% kind of stuff and then there's just freak accidents and all that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I think, you know, like things, the concept of safety goes hand in hand with just being a good aero modeler, which is for me someone that knows how to put a model together and someone that knows how to fly a model well. And if you've got that down, Pat, then you're naturally going to be a safe aero modeler. So, no, I think that um, a lot, a lot more emphasis needs to be in that regard as far as like flying standards, um, because you know, planes, pl- our planes aren't really going AWOL whilst they're flying nowadays. I don't think we have like back in the old days, like you were talking about. You know that. You go to a flying club and part and parcel of being there was seeing five crashes for the day. We don't see we don't see that nowadays as much. So no. it's really you know all my crashes that I've that I've done is generally pilot error. Something went wrong with a brain fade or something like that. But yeah. in the amount of years that I've been flying, they've been few and far between. So um, mm. so anyway, learn how to fly. Oh, look, I think I, I think also when I say that. There's are, are lots of rules and everything now. When I think about it, the models are getting more sophisticated and bigger and heavier. So you know, it, it is it is a good thing that we do do have uh, rules around. You know, you've got to get it inspected if it's over a certain weight, or you know, you have to be gullwing stand standard. Uh, well, that's only new actually saying. You have to be gold wing standard fly turbine. Yeah, the, I think it, I don't just, know whether it is or isn't. There was a proposal, I think, for it, but I don't think it's actually gone through. So it's all, it's all a bit up in the air kind of thing. And you know, sometimes you know, my concern with with rule changes is we get told something like, "Oh, CASA are watching us, and they need, you know, we need to be ahead of the curve and be a bit more onerous and all that kind of stuff." And then I just think, well, I've dealt with CASA before, and I've met quite a number of people that work at CASA. And the least of their worries is aero modelling. Like they've got bigger issues on their plate. You know, my, my brother's an airline pilot and he goes, they're not worried about model aeroplanes, I can tell you now. They worry about no. people losing no, their lives in aeroplanes. It's it's, it's MAAA that are, are coming up with all the onerous rules. We have uh, a guy that is, uh, he works for Casser in our club, Sydney club. I know who he's And he about. says exactly the same thing as you. Uh, but, yeah. um, you know, as long as... Uh, it's ridiculous, but you can actually go and fly if 
the council allows you in a park, you can go and fly a heavy model turbine or whatever in that park. CASA doesn't care. Not that you would do that, but uh, that's, to the, as you said before, they don't really care what we do with the model aeroplanes uh, up until 150 kilos, which is ridiculous when you think of it, isn't it? Yeah, with the, with the uh, CASA are extremely under-resourced. And so if they... You know, they've been talking about this remote pilot licensing and all that kind of stuff for years and years and years and years, right? And nothing's really progressed that much. Yes, they've had a big influx of commercial um, pilots come in to, for drone work. And as one of the guys from CASA that I met said to me, he goes, all of our work really when it comes to remote pilot kind of activities is really around commercial drone activities. They're not worried about yeah. an MAAA member at a flying club flying around unless there's a groundswell of massive amounts of issues and stuff like that. And, you know, the MAAA won't publish how many insurance claims there have been and how many injuries and stuff like that because the numbers aren't mm. big at all. And, yes, we're not advocating that no rules and we're not advocating for unsafe activity. We should just do that as a norm, as being just a normal human yeah. being with common sense is turn up and don't try not to have your fingers chopped off and don't chop anybody else's fingers off or damage anybody else's property. So the fundamentals yeah. of, you know, good living – but um, but yeah, I think sometimes we hype up the rules thing a bit too much when, um, the first, like it, it's it's to do with anything. Like I used to be involved in car racing, and 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 we were the association that I was a committee member of. We were involved in creating rules, and I'd always say, well, is there a problem with the existing rule that requires us to make it even harder? Because you're always going to get one person that slips through the cracks, but you're never going to be able to create enough rules to stop those one people slipping through the cracks kind of thing. You're better off yeah. grabbing that one person, pulling them aside, having a chat with them on the side and say, hey, never do that again. You need to modify your behaviour, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. maybe that's the answer. But, um, but yeah, I think the, the last 12 months, you know, I, I said it in my end-of-year podcast when I was talking to Fraser Briggs and said, um, you know, what was the low light for me? I think last year the, the politics that came into the hobby um, and some of it stemmed around rules and stuff like that was probably the low light for me. I just didn't like what yeah, it did there was to some... all of us. I, I, I just, I, I walked away from going to the flying club as a result of it because I just wanted to have a break from. I didn't want to get involved yeah. in it. I just wanted to stay away from it. Let, let other people go and fight fights, and I'll just do my own yeah. thing. Yeah, it did get very political, and um, uh, I think it damaged MAAA a fair bit too. Uh, uh, I think, uh, especially jet flyers, they felt that they were getting picked on. I know the Western Australia guys, the Victorian guys, uh, Queensland guys especially, yeah. they all felt that uh, – they basically felt that these new mop rules that were supposedly going to come in, it, there's no way you'd be able to get your jet passed. <laughs> and, you, and, and how would you get to uh, inspectors to uh, agree on anything? You know, you might get one inspector to go – Oh yeah, well that's okay. And the other inspector's going, well, no, I don't agree with that. So, see, and that doesn't happen with full size as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'll put this to you, right? It shows you that the um, the association, the MAAA, it actually that that exercise in those draft rules and everything was an exercise in showing you the democracy that does exist within the MAAA because they can propose whatever rule they like. 
but then it has to go be open for discussion and people have to vote on it you know, through their mechanisms and stuff like that. And as part of that, people are allowed to provide feedback. And people provided feedback and to this day those rule changes have not come into effect. We haven't been, you know, it was a, it was a draft thing. So I'll give the MAAA a pat on the back and saying, okay, it actually worked that if there's enough contention within the, the ranks and the, within their members and they the, those members start to speak up en masse, they're going to turn around and say, okay, maybe we shouldn't do this because the members have got a few good points and maybe we shouldn't do it. And at, at the end of the day, these associations that we join exist to represent us and and, yeah, and so. our, our, our wishes and that kind of stuff. The challenge for associations is just to be more transparent, right? So, yeah. you know, why... Why, if if they came out to us and gave us a rationale as to why we needed to change rules, so for example, if they showed us an email from CASA saying we are very very concerned about turbine flying, you know, this is hypothetical, and 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 they uh, we would like you to tighten up your regulations so that we don't have to put extra measures in place, we'd all go, oh crikey, now we've got to do something, but we don't know how you know, it came you know about. The, <clears throat> the funny thing is though. The most uh, insurance claims are not with jets. The most insurance claims and the most expensive one, which was, I think, still in the courts or whatever, it was one in Queensland. Uh, I think it was an electric plane that flew off into a guy's farm and burnt the guy's <laughs> his farm shed with all his equipment and uh, fields. Yeah. But, um, the, the thing is we know that people that buy jets are avid aero modelers because they cost a lot of money. And yeah. Um, generally those people have um, flown a bit. Like a, a, a person with common sense, like I'll give you an example. I'm going to go to the Wang Jets event, event this year, the turbine event. I've got two jets sitting there, all right, but then I need to do some work on them. But I've already said I have not been flying enough to warrant turning up to that event to go and fly. All right? So I'm using my common sense and saying I'm not going to feel comfortable going to fly at that event. I'll, I'll visit it because I love love the event. I love seeing the planes and the people there and etc. But I'm not going to go and fly because I don't feel as if I'm had enough practice yeah. before that event to fly a jet there. Right? Not that I yeah. I could do it. I jumped on the simulator the other day and went, yeah, I can still got it. Took off, flick it into knife edge, do some knife edge circuits, whatever. But I'm still not going to go and do it. Now that is then self regulation in that context. Yeah. Um, and so, and most of us, I think, have that same level of common sense. There's always a few that slip through the cracks that really try to rush to get to that level, um, and yeah. they're the people that need to get a tap on the shoulder and say, "Ease up, just for your own and sake." And I think just you find the jet fraternity uh, are pretty good like that. They they can single out straight away a guy that's struggling, or you know, some guy that's turned up. With with a jet that has no experience at all with turbines and wants to fly, then you're pretty. I know with Wang they're pretty tight with safety things like that. Yeah, I don't think that would happen. And by and large, it's it's basically all. It, nearly everyone knows everyone in the jet fraternity anyway, which is it's probably, a small community. Probably not a not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is sometimes. a it is a small community, and so yeah, you're right. So so there is this level of self-regulation which is a good thing i you know i've got a jet ski and, and i'm in a facebook group and you know a lot of jet skis get um you know oh you must know bobby then he's a member of our club bob flint um no corinne you're not corinne yeah yeah yeah, no, corinne. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well and i yeah i was speaking to corinne about the uh the, the jet skiing but uh, but 
will get a bad rap. And there's all, it's only always like a, a, a few that just don't know the rules and do stupid stuff. Now, the group that, yeah. that, that I'm part of on Facebook, they will go up to those individuals on the spot and, and, and a guy took a video, interviewed the guy and said to him, do you know how fast you were going? Do you know what the speed limit was? Right? And the guy said, oh, yeah, it's five mm. knots. How fast are you going? Five knots. No, you weren't. I'll show you on the, on the video. So don't do that because you're going to ruin it for everybody else. Now, that's fine. That's good self-regulation um, in, in, in yeah. grabbing one. And then I think, yeah, I think we do do that. Anyway, yeah. we've digressed. I want to get back and have a chat about you because you're more interesting than the rules. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, you're going to get to the jets because I know that you got you fly jets. So, so okay, yeah. let's just go through the timeline. You've got now the the Gemini, the Aeroflight the Gemini. Gemini. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I glued that together quite a few times, and uh, that taught me a lot about aerobatics being low wing uh, model. Yeah, I, I um, someone said that they still make that Gemini. Nah. Yeah, maybe a different. No, don't. They no. probably don't. Um, anyway, I had that Gemini for quite a while, and then uh, I uh, that stage I, I went to uni, so um, it sort of dampens flying for a little while. Um, or I went to uni. Uh, I did meet. Uh, it was a guy there. It was who was a priest in one of the colleges, hmm. and he wanted to get into air modelling. And I had a little. I think I had an OS twenty or something like that. That um, we basically built a little aeroplane together and flew it at the Uni Oval, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah, so and then after Uni, I basically um, got back into flying again because I started earning some money teaching, <laughs> and uh, and I got into I don't know if you know Ernie Egley, the HD models in South Australia. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's still alive. Um, yeah, he. Um, I bought. I went sort of jumped from smallish planes like the Hustler and I can't and, and uh, Gemini straight into one of Ernie's planes, which is a bit crazy. And I had a. Uh, I think I had a Zenoa sixty-two in it. What was it? Uh, which was a huge motor back then. Yeah. Like that's. And uh, yes, I love that. What was the model? Um, it was a uh, Sukhoi. Okay. Sukhoi, yeah, it was a beautiful thing. Um, was it? Huge. It was like, uh, it was, might have been 78 inch or 80, <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. Um, it was composite fuselage and uh, built up oh. wings. Oh, not built up wings, it was foam core foam wings core, and yeah. then. And then you you get the half inch, the half ounce uh, cloth, and then the two pack the wings, and it was it was basically a builder's kit. There was nothing inside, you know, no formers for the radio gear and things. So you had to make everything in, inside it. Um, but um, yeah, I flew that for quite a few years. How heavy was it? Oh, his models were ridiculously heavy, like nasty stall. <laughs> <laughs> he had to. He had to come in at a rate of knots, and and the good thing about the, the Sukhoi, though, it had a really big wing cord, and it did wasn't as bad as some of his other models. His cap was the worst, I think. I had had a cap that's right, and that would tip stall without any warning whatsoever. Of course, it was so wing loading was so high, yeah. and, and 
Yeah, so that was really heavy. That would have been, oh, I reckon up around the nine kilos. Yeah. For then, you know, the nine, ten kilos. Yeah, 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 it was quite Now we're getting like if a 78 in, eight inch plane, you'd be closer to the five kilo or six kilo mark, the under the seven. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, this thing was, you know, you had to really manhandle it around the air uh, <laughs> at low speeds. You had to be very careful. Oh, yeah, I ripped out. Were you sort of getting into the aerobatic thing? Was that your, that your area that you sort of were focusing yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, I was starting to get it, slowly getting into the aerobatic thing. And, um, and it wasn't long after that, oh, getting into. I tried my hands at, because it was about early 80s. They, I think um, scale aerobatics, 84 or something, people started uh, trying to get uh, little people together to do scale aerobatics. It wasn't very successful because not many people, uh, you know, were too keen to sit down and learn <laughs> the routines and stuff. Um yeah, so that was the fledgling beginnings of me getting into scale aerobatics. But I, found, I just found that it really it disciplined you. When you um, you had a routine to do, it disciplined to where your plane was in the sky, whereas before you were, you were just out there punching holes in the sky and it was all random. And you always, every now and then, came to grief because of it. But what, once I started doing aerobatics and started doing, you know, nice lines and and uh, I just found that rather than punching holes in the sky, it was boring. I just found that I really wanted to fly more scale aerobatics, nice, make nice lines and stuff. And I found that I did have a, a situation where I had a, a, you know, a dead stick or whatever. I didn't panic. Uh, I just, it makes you a better flyer, I think. Yeah, so I recommend that. I recommend that to everyone. Don't have to go and uh, join a competition or anything, but just go and get the schedule. You know, start on basic or whatever, and just go go through the schedule and keep, try and do the schedule as best you can. And you'll find that it just uh, it just makes you more of a confident flyer. I think. Does for me anyway. That no, just I had, my two cents worth. I had the same experience, and in fact. The other day when I pulled the simulator out because I thought, oh, I haven't flown for a while, let's get the simulator out. The first thing I did is I opened up the um, iMac page and um, got the 2024 basic sequence out to to see what was in it and then had the, had the one – I had two computers on, one with the, the simulator going and my other Mac laptop that won't run the simulator had that with the, the, the Arresti on it. And I just started flying yeah. it, going because the manoeuvres. I've flown basic manoeuvres before, and so they're all variations on a theme. It's a different sort of different sequence, you know. And so I did that because you're 100 percent right. My sentiment follows yours, which is um, when I started practicing, say the basic routine, and I I just became a better pilot. And I would do it with any plane. Didn't matter which plane I was flying. I remember I had a a one meter wingspan electric stick, and I'd fly it with that. And my brother would go, "Here you go." Flying iMac again, I said, I'll tell you what, this plane lacks a little bit of power. And so it teaches you about managing momentum from maneuver to maneuver. And that taught me more yeah. than any other model because once you get a dedicated aerobatic model, it's almost like power's not an issue. You just, you know, throttle out of everything. <laughs> um, and yeah, well, I, I became I find, better. Yeah, I, yeah, I find uh, that I'm even doing it with jets um, because after a while, uh, just sort of turning and burning and, and uh, going fast as you can, it does get a bit boring. Yeah. So I've um, 
Yeah, you know, I've got a few jets that aren't, they're not built for speed, but they're built for accuracy. And I find that I'm, I'm doing, you know, the iMac routines with them. And I think uh, we, we tried to get an F3S uh, pump up and going. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, but people were scared of uh, there was a snap maneuver. And the problem with in a jet, if you're flying, along and you say your turbine's doing 100 odd thousand revs counterclockwise i'm not sure which way it spins yeah. now is it and you your snap maneuver is counter to the spinning of the <laughs> rotation of the the turbine then that's that those loads on those bearings is astronomical compared to a prop plane and that invariably you know you're going to start blowing up motors and which that, that's what they're doing in america as well so I think that was the big issue with trying to get F3S off off the ground was uh, the snap maneuvers destroying turbines. I've heard a similar thing about uh, thrust vectoring in jets when um, mm-hmm. you know they they put those movable nozzles on the tail and then they can hover them and they can do crazy spins and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, the yeah. loads on the on the turbine can be pretty high yeah. depending on what you're doing with that that thrust vectoring. And it well, sort of well, it's not only that. Well, see, that the turbines are running at six, seven hundred degrees temperature yeah. Fahrenheit. They're, that's their oh, centigrade or Fahrenheit. I'm not sure. It's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's centigrade. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's horrendous temperatures, and you need air going over you <laughs> through the intake. That's what the intakes are for. The air is funneled on to the also, you know, picks up the air and compresses it. But if you're hovering, you know, you haven't got any air going over the turbine. And so if you're hovering for any length of time, the temperatures are going to be horrendous on, on the bearings. So yeah. it's not, not, what I, not what I want to do. And, you know, it's, they're too expensive to, you know, if you have a flame out at just a couple of feet off the ground, it's goodbye expensive jet. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know. You know, if other people want to do it, I don't mind watching it. But um, if if I want mm. to do that kind of flying, I'll, I'll use a prop plane, like you know, an aerobatic plane, three yeah. um, D plane or something like that, and um, and do it with. Well, you've that. got static thrust, inst- instant static thrust yeah. from a prop. You haven't got you haven't got that with a turbine. That's all right. If you want instant, the thrust is. I mean, the transition is pretty amazing these days. I mean, I think it's even down to a second now. Uh, mm. But see, with the prop, it's there's no like it's instant. And a second is still a second if you, you know, you've got to pull out of a manoeuvre and it, it makes it a lot harder. Yeah. Okay, mm. so you get this Sukhoi, all right? What, what's after that? What keeps on happening after that? Did you crash um, it? Yes. <laughs> uh, that's a very sad story that I had it for a while and um, I was up on the Gold Coast and I moved back to Sydney and I joined a club at Appen, and um, they were having a lot of uh, uh, people getting shot down out there. I don't, don't know what was going on. It was because the club was in between a guy that owned, uh, well, he used to own racehorses and he trained them, and the club was right on the edge of his uh, business. And uh, we had we got a feeling maybe <laughs> it's a bit of funny business going, but anyway. Cut a long story short, I was flying my Sukhoi and going, doing run-ups up and down the strip, low level, flat out, as you do. Mm. And went across the strip, flat out, went to turn, no, nothing. 
<laughs> didn't burn. And there's a rather large clump of big uh, gum trees that it's heading towards. Uh, and this thing was going flat straight, you know, like. And uh, I've never seen the model destroy its. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I, didn't like, I mean, it's funny now, but I was totally really upset back then about uh-huh. it. And the, uh, it, it broke, actually broke the Zanara in half. It hit oh, the, really? Hit the, it, it hit the, the trees dead on in the centre, you know, like flat out. <laughs> oh, gee. So it was like a garbage bag full of uh, stuff. Oh, there'd be nothing you'd get out of that. No, it was not. Oh, servos were broken. Yeah, no, there was nothing. I think the only, the only thing that came out of it was the rudder. Yeah, yeah. I've still got the, the rudder from my uh, jet that nosed in. And people say, what's that? I go, well, that's the remnants of the, the, the jet that I once owned. And it's pristine. It's perfect. If anybody needs a tail for a Skymaster two-meter Viper jet, it's beautiful. It's amazing, isn't it, how uh, some Phys- things just physics. Re- you know, survive so so well and the rest of the plane's obliterated. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so Sukhoi dies. What do you replace it with? Uh, I'm just trying to think, you know, it was going back a long time. Um, I started to, uh, you know, I think I went into, I got a little bit depressed after that. And because uh, I was playing playing in bands as well. Um, so I think I had a little bit of a hiatus for would have been about a year or so. Um, and then... Uh, uh, what did I buy after that? I think uh, that's right. I bought a uh, a built up. Uh, no, I bought Glen Orchards. Uh, uh, Edge five forty, big blue thing. It was on the front cover of um, Airborne. Oh, yes, yeah, so I went completely from jumped to uh, the other end. It had a uh, DA-150 in it, and it flew beautifully. It was an amazing airplane. Okay. It, um, it's a big one then. It was so straight. What was the brand? Yeah. Uh, he built it. What was the uh, – it was a built-up kit, um, you know, phone cores again. Look, I can't remember now. It's so many years ago. Did you, did you like it? building models? Yeah, I did. Look, well, I'll get get to that now if you like. Uh, yeah. I did build. I mean, actually, I've trained, I've jumped a, f- a few models because I just remembered I had a um, that Howard Hughes racer. The what was it called? Big radial white thing. Uh, Mister Mulligan. Yeah, that was the first thing, first big scale thing I built, and that was a real labour of love. That thing that took me. It was good six months working on it every day. Um, what did I have in that? A Quadra. Right? A Quadra 30, I think it was a 34. <laughs> God almighty, it took me a long time ago now. And uh, that was really underpowered. That was a big aeroplane. Well, big for them. Yeah, you know those races, the 1930s, yeah, yeah. 40s races, big rounds, yeah, right. my wing. Um, I don't know why. I was just I was fascinated by that era, you know, the Howard Hughes, mm. 
that era, the, those uh, golden era races, yeah, the big GBs and things like that. Yeah, so um, that was my first foray in building. So then moving a lot for, further forward, uh, I then got uh, a Hostetler plans for a twin, a Cessna 421. Oh, gee. Uh, yeah, you're talking lots and lots of hours. <laughs> so that was scratch built. Um, the original plans were 24%. Uh, so we blew it up to um, 20, I think it was either 27 or 30 percent. And with a plane that big, that's a big jump. You know, like three, you wouldn't think, you're thinking, oh, well, 24 to 20, 27, 30 is not much, but that's, it's, that's quite a bit in that size aeroplane. Um, that had, uh, oh, I still got it actually. You wouldn't believe it, that it still survives. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and that's got two Zanoa 62s in it. People say, why do you want to use those bloody dinosaur motors? And I'll tell you why. Because you don't have to have any batteries. It's not an aerobatic plane. Um, and I needed a lot of nose weight. Hmm. And it, you're, if you're flying at scale speed, and if you, it, I don't need like a, a DA motor that costs you know four times the amount and... And yeah, so, and those, I've had those Anoas in there for, it must be 22, 23 years now. They're still going. Okay. Sometimes I don't fly it for a couple of years and I pull it out, uh, run some fuel through it, and they start up straight away. I think the Anoa was actually was a Canadian chainsaw manufacturer. Yeah, yeah. But they've been, uh, they're, they're known for being very reliable. Like, oh, look, they're not powerful motors compared no. to, Compared to a properly built aeroplane motor like a DA or DLE or whatever, yeah. yeah. So I'm looking at I'm looking at your Facebook page now at it. Nah. is that the oh, yeah. that's still there? The use sitting standing or standing next to the the model. It's big. Okay. Oh, it's gigantic. Yeah, it's a big model. It's yeah. Um, so yeah, won quite a won quite a few few awards with that as well. Um, you know, not sort of trying to be big-headed about it, but wherever I flew it, it just um, people were just in awe of it. Uh, just the sound. I was invited to fly it full full size uh, air shows. Used to fly at the uh, one here in uh, just south of Sydney. At, uh, I think it's coming up again. Haas. Oh. Um, they got a historical site of the society down there. That's it. Um, the. Uh... Yeah, I love civilian light aircraft models like Cessnas and and then um, you know the twins as well. I'd love a King Air. Like, that oh, must yeah. be King Air, be beautiful. Um, but yeah, I, I can see why people would love seeing that kind of model. One, it's not a common thing to see, and I love seeing you know those models. You, you know, you know, like Piper Cubs are good, but. They're everywhere, um, but yeah. twin-engine civilian giant-scale aircraft is is very rare. But um, mm. but gee, it looks good. But yeah, and you know, it it is a bit of a handful to fly. It's okay, uh, but it is heavy. You know, we're talking like thirty-eight kilos, um, and that's dry. Uh, so you do have to be on your game when you you're landing. Takeoffs, obviously, is that you know. Is is a no-brainer. 
but landing, you've got to set up. It's almost like landing a full size. You've got to set it up in the same way, you know, your downwind leg uh, and turning onto final. And it all has to be almost like the full size. You can't just sort of, all of a sudden, I'm going to land now and throw it in. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, is it hard to slow down? It is, yeah. It's, well, it's a big, heavy thing. And it's pretty... It doesn't look slippery, but it is very slippery. And it's the speed is deceptive. The first time I had to land it, I was coming in, and I was thinking, well, yeah, that's going pretty slow. And as it got closer, I thought, that's not slow. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, yeah. and, and as it went past me, I realised this is not going to land, so I had to throttle up. And I think my first first uh, few landings, it took me about three or four tries to get, get the speeds right. Um. Yeah, so it's it it is a bit of a handful to land, but flying it's okay, um, and uh, takeoff's okay, but landing, yeah, you've got to be on your game with that. You can't. Uh, it's got an enormous spin and rudder too, so if there's any crosswind, you it, it is it that fin picks it up. Yeah. So you you it does penetrate through any sort of breeze, obviously, because being the heavy model. Mm. But there's nothing like a big sound of a big twin. It just, uh, it's just fantastic. Yeah, and the good thing about a twin is if you have one go out, it still flies. Although that's pretty asymmetric, I must admit. <laughs> I have had have had motors go out on it, and you you're into the opposite rudder aileron straight away, otherwise the thing will spin. Oh, gee. Yeah. So uh, I've saved it a few times. Yeah. So you'd want to be a pretty competent pilot to fly something like that. Yeah, so it's still still around. Um, I'm probably I'm thinking about even taking it out this Sunday, maybe dust dust some cobwebs off it. Yeah, no, it's but, awesome. um, what, what other models have you currently got in your hangar? Oh my god, <laughs> oh, no. ten of worms now. Yeah. <laughs> give give us the I've highlights. Got, <laughs> uh, well, I've got a I've got a fifty percent Hempel Edge two hundred and sixty. That's got a. Um, a 3W270 in it. It's one. the competition 272, which is a beast. So the normal 270, uh, which I should have bought, has got a nice compression, but this competition, the compression is, my God, is not. <laughs> so I, 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 uh, I put some decompression on just on one cylinder rather than two, because apparently they start better with the, just a decompression on one. Yeah. But before I had that decompression, uh, uh, like it was, you just couldn't turn it over. You had to be Hercules. Oh, really? So <laughs> hard to start. Yeah. But uh, now it's easy. I've got a new carburetor. For some reason, the original carburetor, um, it's got a little one-way ball valve internally in it, and it just got uh, seized up. And frustratingly, you can't change that. You just got to buy a whole new carburetor. <laughs> oh. So. But that lasted quite a while. Lasted about ten years, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, a big model. That's, oh, it's a big. And you know what? It, it's that thing is flies as easy as a trainer. What's the scheme on it? It's the uh, yellow. Oh, what's his name? That aerobatic guy, Semenzi, not Semenzi. One of those guys. It's a yellow black. Funny, stripey, can't describe it. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to send you a picture. Um, 
But it's a big pussycat. You've, um, I did try and I actually flew it in an IMAC competition, but it was, it, it was sort of like trying to push a whale around in the air. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's big. Yeah, it's a bit too big. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got my set of half beside me telling me all the models I've got. <laughs> <laughs> She's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I suppose the other model I really, it, it, that has done, it, it people seem to really like is the Connie. The yeah. Constellation. It's, that's a huge model as well. Um, underpowered. My God, that thing is scaring. Uh, oh, really? Because they only run 430cc, is that they? Yeah, for, uh, I had the OS 30s, and they were so unreliable. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Hard to start. Lots of problems. They like to start Yeah, backwards. and lots of flame outs. So I always have one go out in the air. Mm. <laughs> Don't know why. I know Aaron uh, Giles, Queensland, I think he's got one. He said he's got his all yeah. running really well. But uh, I sold mine and put Zenoa 38s in it. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and, and they just run like clockwork. I just don't, you know, don't, don't. The good thing about the Zanoa, they're not uh, as powerful, but man, they're so reliable. They just mm. go and go. You know, you start easy to start, and you almost got to throw something at them to stop them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that you do that. You, know, you just obviously hit the switch and it turn it off. But um, so, what's the Connie like to fly? Oh, that is marginal. <laughs> marginal. Power. Well, marginal. It really needs. Just flying. It, need, it needs four fifties. Put it that way. Oh, really? It's marginal power. I mean, to get it up to decent, safe height, flying height takes you about. You, you're taking off very shallow. You can't sort of reef it into the air of the store. So you can take off very shallowly. You know, like a almost a twenty degree incline, hmm. and uh, you just got to gradually get it up to a decent flying height. And then you, you're circling, circling, and get it up, you know, to like three or four hundred feet. And then the keeping of that height is a bit of a struggle as well because it's—I don't know why they designed it with such small motors. Mm. It's a, it, the thing is a heavy beast. It, um, when you think about it, four four thirties—that's only 120 cc for a plane that big. You know? That's true. Yeah. Could it fit bigger engines? Do you think or not? No, the cows are too small. Uh-huh. The only the only thing would be <coughs> to run convert the uh, gas motor to methanol. Mm. but I wouldn't do that. But um, that I know that with the Noah's guys in America, they do that. What's that racing they do? The Reno racing with the Mustangs. They yeah. they've got sixty to Zanoa running on nitro and methanol. They're you're getting like you know. 10,000 revs out of them before they detonate. <laughs> you could probably go electric. You could put a big electric in there. You know what? I reckon you'd have more power. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could go maybe even a 60cc size um, electric in all of them and you'd have heaps of grunt. Yeah. Look, I don't fly it very often because of that reason. Mm. It is scary aeroplane to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful to land. It comes in like a trainer to land. Really? But to, but to get it off the ground is your heart's pitter pattering and the old bottom chicks are clenched together, <laughs> oh, and everyone's going, "Is it going to get off? Is it going?" And <laughs> That's what we love, though. <laughs> we love it lit- speculating when it's it going off the ground. It literally takes every club I've been at. It takes 
all their runway and more. I sometimes run into the rough a little bit. Then I just get off the ground. Okay. Um, so, and not only that, you, you've got to have a pit crew to put it together. You can't just put it together by yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really it's, exercise. It, all that's pretty onerous. And it's about an hour, hour and a half to put together. Oh, so, gee. hour and a half to put together, hour and a half to break down, that's three hours. Um, then you've got to have a pit crew. So, you've got to have, you've got to have an extra two or three guys to help you with it. Um, yeah, so it's like I once in a year. I look, I last time I threw it, so it was about two years ago, I think. But I tell you what, every time I do fly, when it is in the air, it's it's just astonishing aeroplane. <laughs> so, yeah, the sound of four motors and doing a nice show pass, you know, like mm. a, you know, tilting it on at a you know, like 30 degree angle, and doing a nice show pass. It's something to behold, it's beautiful. Yeah, that'd be the kind of plane I'd take to a nice event and put on a bit of a show. Um, what else you got? Yeah, yeah. Now, get onto uh, the jets. Tell me about sure. jets because I know you got into jets. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I started off with, um, uh, uh, as everyone does, I suppose, well, not everyone, but the Euro, the old Eurosport. Mm. Um, we got the first generation one, which is better than the next generation ones. The next generation ones, guys start putting five feet for whatever is the ducting and the all the stuff in it, and your wing lighting goes up. Uh, this one didn't have any of that. It was really light and uh, easy to land, beautiful, really easy to fly. Um, yeah, I love that thing. It, but it just, the Eurosport just gets boring because it's a delta wing and you can't really do knife edges, although I saw one guy attempt one. <laughs> didn't end end up very well. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's not much you can do. The only thing I've had fun with the Eurofighter is uh, the high alpha, you know, coming in. Yeah, nose right up. Under power, pulling the nose up and high offering at a nice walking pace across the field. And that took me quite a few months to work my courage up to do that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you start doing it at a decent altitude. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, but just got a bit boring. So then I graduated to a Viper. It was a Skymaster 2. I think 2.6. Yeah, big one. Meter. Had that go for it. I had a two meter, which a crash, but. Yeah. What was the big one? Uh, look, I, I found it really easy, easy plane to fly. People said, oh, they're difficult. I'm not I'm not sure if the small ones are more difficult, but the two point six one, I really it it planted itself when landed, which I really liked. Yeah, like you know, you get some jets. They once you get that that bounce, it's all over, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> then a kangaroos and then cartwheels, and it's all over. Yeah, that, I think the front nose wheel's really far forward on the Viper jet, which probably helps. But uh, the the two meter was a, was a good plane to fly. It actually wasn't that hard. It just it just bit me, and I think it was more the maneuver that I was doing with very full tanks of fuel. Um, oh, okay, you know, it was heavy. It was heavy with the fuel. Um, and I've got another another Viper jet that I replaced it with. I haven't flown it yet, but it's already it's newer technology than the the, the Skymaster two meter, and it's, so it's lighter. And it's at least oh, okay. it's probably going to be at least two kilos lighter. Same size but lighter, 
And so I'm oh, expecting that'll, that'll that. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I'm expecting mm. that not to be. Uh, but but the thing with the Sky Master Viper Jet is I, I just felt like it tracked beautifully. It was a bit like a pattern plane in a kind of way. They do, yeah. They, yeah, they wh- wherever you pointed it, that's where it went. And it's, uh, I just found uh, it, was, it was not the greatest aerobatic plane. It was okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was hard to hold a knife edge, like doing a knife edge. I'm talking down the street was okay, yeah. but if you wanted to do a knife edge circuit, it was hard to hold in. Uh, I don't know, it was of course the winglets or whatever. Um, but uh, I just found landing, it was a breeze, it was really easy jet to land. It, it just set up the landing, you could almost put the radio down and it would land itself, you know, with full flap and a little bit of elevator trim. It was uh, beautiful to land. What happened to that pump model? Uh, that came to grief at uh, Kempsey. Right. <laughs> we uh, look. I'll tell you a quick story. Kempsey. Um, don't know if you know Paul Bennett. He has his air shows. Yeah, yeah I've had him on the podcast. He runs these uh, events called Sky. Got to get what they are. His little club, jet club. He's got. Anyway, he invited me to fly there and I flew there for a couple of years. And uh, one time, he invited the local Kempsey club. You know, local guys uh, have RC club to come along and get involved. So as you know, you've got to have a spotter when you're flying at a full-size strip. And uh, so they decided to ask one of the guys from the local club to be, a spot, be spotters. And I, this elderly gentleman who was my spotter, I said to him, now, all you have to be aware of is other planes, you know, especially the full-size is coming or and if I say low pass, you yell out low pass, stuff like that. So anyway, I'm doing a low pass. And uh, as I get to the middle of the strip, he says, low pass to everyone, which at that point, uh, someone else was right in the middle of the strip. Yeah. <clears throat> it took off my fin, <laughs> uh, completely severed the fin. And all I was able to do was it was heading towards the pilot box. At, probably a couple of hundred clicks. I thought, I've just got to steer this thing away. And I was able, because I had ailerons, to steer it away, but then decided, it must have uh, took out a bit of the elevator as well, decided to go vertical uh, oh, and out of control, uh, just shut the, shut the power down. It came down vertically in the middle of the tarmac. Oh, no. <laughs> that would have made a mess. It did, yeah. It was, wasn't a pretty sight. But unfortunately, it took out the other guys. He had his gear down. It took out his landing gear, my fin, and part of his wing. But he ended up landing okay. Uh, and that was Rick Gell. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's big hawk. Yeah. yeah. So uh, then then I, um, I got a uh, – went even bigger. got a 50% driver. Oh, gee. With a, uh, with a 320. What's the wingspan on that? Uh, I think four and a bit metres. You like big planes, don't you? <laughs> but they fly so well. Yeah, but I know. This... How big's your trailer? It must be massive. Oh, yeah, well, I've got three trailers. <laughs> <laughs> but one of, one of them is my better half. I've got the oldest trailer. <laughs> She's got the oldest. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've got... Two trailers. And, um, yeah, but that thing, 
you wouldn't believe is the easiest plane I've ever flown. It just so so planted, so it just as you said, the vipers uh, they sit well in the sky. They just and this thing being half scale is right in your face, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it land, it basically lands by itself. It, beautiful, beautiful landing thing. Uh, plenty of power. It's three twenty. It's I wouldn't say. It's not a faster plane, and they actually um, Anton warns warns you that you can't uh, exceed its VNE on this one because yeah. it will come apart. Yeah, I've heard that with some some of the jets. Yeah, so this you can't fly this thing fast like a no. an ultra flash or whatever, no. um, which I've I've got. <laughs> well, <laughs> why have you got an ultra flash? Because like I. I is it just for the speed? Oh, no, you know what? It, you can fly it slow, but it doesn't like to go slow. Yeah. Um, that thing is ridiculous. It's It's got a 166 in it, and it's only supposed to have a guys fly it on a 140, I think, 120. Yeah. Uh, the, I think uh, who? Benny at uh, yeah, Benny Braytu. Wang. I think he was clocked at 509. Yeah, yeah. He's the speed demon. <laughs> He loves, you know, there's those people that just love going fast. He's one of those guys. You know, he's, well, he's an amazing pilot as well. Yeah, he flies. Well, he's a full size pilot as well. So, I don't know Penny Bray too is. Um, yeah, so this thing is, I don't fly that's I'm too old to fly that fast. Um, I'd say the most I'd, I'd probably half his speed, maybe a little bit more, 300 maybe at the most. Yeah. That's enough for me. You know, that's that's still moving. That is right. That is. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I I tend more towards. Um, I don't really go for speed. I'm not going for top speed with a jet. I'm going for more um, sport models with, that are a bit more aerobatic kind of thing. So that's all I've got in my hangar is sport. Well, sport well, I've got that as well. I've, I've got a Futura, a Tomahawk Futura, which oh, is nice. only aerobatic. Yeah. yeah, and that flies really slow. I can put the full flaps and. Virtually walking speed across the strip, but I can I can actually do uh, I make routine with that thing easily. Yeah, they're not uh, the future is because, that well. well, it's just a constant speed through all the maneuvers. Yeah. Um, whereas other, you know, you couldn't do the ultra flashes. <laughs> just mm-hmm. Zip 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 zip. Yeah. <laughs> but I just thought I want to try this this ultra flash. I might. I don't know if I'll hang on to it. I'm probably too old for it. But I am, every time I fly it, I am a bit nervous. <laughs> Why did you get into jets? I, you know what? I was hassled. I was hassled by Jason Starkey. Yeah. <laughs> it's his fault. I um, used to... Ta- yeah. I, well, I had, I had ducted fans. Oh, did you? I had a bite. Oh, I've got... Yeah, I've had so many planes. I've forgotten them. <laughs> okay. um, I had one of the first ducted fans in, in Australia. I had a buyer an F-16. Oh. Um, which back then was, you know, everyone's going, whoa, that's incredible. Uh, and I had a, um, a, oh, what was the motor then? Not the OS, the other one. Italian motor. Enya? No, no. A Rossi. Rossi. I had a Rossi 108, which back then was gigantic, <laughs> but very unpredictable. It 
you you had uh, in-flight mix you control in, so when you uh, in-flight, you could lean it out so you could get more. Of course, the problem with ducted fans back then, you are you you only you had to uh, your maximum horsepower was at maximum revs. Mm. So to get off the ground, you had this thing had to be doing like twenty odd thousand revs, which was a lot for a piston motor. Mm. And if that thing was down on a few hundred revs, you wouldn't get off the ground. <laughs> and the, and when you did get off the ground, it was like a wallowing whale until it got up on the plane. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's crazy. That you know, people really persevered with the ducted fan kind of thing. But it, it didn't sound like the experience of flying them was that great. No, it was lots of crashes and lots of, and the things always flamed out. They were useless, mate, because they. Had, you know, you could, these little piston motors doing 20, I, I'm pretty sure they were like around 20,000 revs, hmm. 14, something like that. What are the pylon guys doing there up around? I think they're similar to what the pylon guys are doing. Yeah. There is. And, you know, those little motors are just, that, that, that heat and that amount of revs, they're just not going to last. So they always detonated. You know, it's, you're flying along and it, it just goes silent. It wouldn't go bang or anything. <laughs> You, just, you sort of go, yeah. <laughs> you go, uh-uh, there well, goes another motor. Did they glide at all or not? Yeah, that did actually. That's one good thing I found about the F-16. Even though I had studied little wings, I found that, um, yeah, it was really easy, nice plane to land. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, and I kept that and I gave it away, I think, to someone. Oh, no. Years later. Because I can't remember, I think it was after all Dr. Chan had you know, died of death and, and someone saw it, you know, go, I forget where it was, and they said, oh, what are you going to do with that? Well, you can, you're into it, you can have it. Mm. <laughs> because it was old, you know, he's talking about the 70s, 70. You got back into jets again. Six, seven, yeah. Oh, they got you into it. I think it was Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah, the Dr. Chan's. Yeah, I've had too many aeroplanes, mate. Yeah. Now, you got into but, iMac uh, flying as well a bit? Oh, uh, yeah. I um, got on an iMac with uh, that uh, Glen Orchard's um, the Ed, Edge, his big uh, 540 Edge, had the 150 in it. Yeah, I yeah, did the... White plane, you had a white plane. Yeah, well, that was a Katana. I had a Katana, a... Um, who made the really nice... They're still making. They're making jets now. The Aries and Krill. Krill, yeah. I had a Krill Krill Katana, thirty nine percent. Krill Katana had a uh, one seventy in that, and that had the big long tune pipes, which were horrendous. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because up to about half throttle, there was no power, and then as soon as you hit half power, it was. You know the turbo lag you yeah. used to get in the old the old turbo cars. Yeah. All of a sudden, the thing just went bang. <laughs> oh, so it was it was really hard to manage. You know, you'd be in between up to half throttle, we very soggy, and then all of a sudden you had this like a lightning bolt of power. So I then it went back to the short cans, which were more consistent power. But um, yeah, they were a bit of a fad in those big, big long tune pipes for a little while. Yeah, I see. What um, what's your go-to model now when you go for a fly? Um, well, flying a lot of jets, uh, probably 
the Futura, I really like flying because it's it can fly nice and slow, and I can just do a nice aerobatic routine. Um, I'd like I've got a, a the uh, extra the three thirty extra extreme. Yep, uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful aeroplane to fly. I've got a hundred in that. Um, that's a, a nice, easy model to handle. It's not too big. Um, easy to put together. Um, like flying, or well, I've been flying the Flash a bit lately. <laughs> oh, need for Going speed. off with the speed. <laughs> yeah, need for speed. <laughs> but uh, I'll probably get sick of that. Uh, I've got uh, one model I haven't told you about is I've got a big Sukhoi SU30, the Skymaster. Oh, have you? And it's got two 230s in it, 235s. Oh, is, is that the big, big one? Yeah. Same as Mark Taddy's or? Ex- the same, only mine's the camouflage skin, the blue and white. Oh, now, they apparently, have you flown that, Clay? Yeah. What, what, what's your uh, take on it? Scared the crap out of me. Because <laughs> I'll tell you what happens. Because um, I was getting it mopped up at the casino and uh, I took off. And the thing was all over the sky. And I thought, what is going on? And Python was mopping it, right? And he's, he's saying, he's, he thought that I was just nervous. And I said, no, mate, there's something wrong with this plane. And the thing, I pulled up the elevator and the thing would just go violently, you know, vertical. I'm just breathing on the elevator and then it violently down and it was all over the sky. And I said, look, I've got to land. He said, no, no, just settle down. I said, no, I've got a land, mate. This thing is going to go in. And uh, and he's trying to talk to me to keep flying, and I just ignored him. Anyway, as I was landing, the thing was all over the sky. I just dumped it. And it um, because I had uh, the vector nozzles on it, and they only they clip on, so fortunately me, that's where it hit on the nozzles, and they just clipped off. So it was very minimal damage. And as I walked over, Tyson walked over to you and he said, oh, look at your right elevator. It was hanging down. Oh, no. What had happened, the uh, elevator, those elevators, they've got the, the rod, which is inserted into two bearings, and then it, it in, internal in the plane, is it clips in, is like a, it clips in. What had happened, it unclipped itself, and the outside bearing had come out. Oh. So, the right elevator, I, I was effectively flying around with one elevator. Oh, and when Tyson saw that, he said, how in the hell did you fly that thing? And I said, now you get now the you, idea. Mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I spoke, I've spoken to Mark Taddy about his one. He, he loves it. He thinks it's a great, great thing to fly. Oh, look, yeah. I have, look, I, and I haven't flown it since because it scared me. That scared me. And I've, I've since, uh, you know, fixed the bearing up and got it all together. So I'm just waiting. And I've, I've talked to Mark and he said it's probably his best aeroplane. Yeah, uh, he loves it. And I've talked to the guy in Queensland, I forgot his name. He's a full-size pilot. Uh, got, I think there's three of us. have got only three in Australia. He's got one up there. But um, he also says, look, it's a big pussycat. Um, mm, true. You know, you come in and uh, you're high off for it and – Landed on the mains and just gent- gently uh, bring the nose down. You're going to bring it to Wang Jets this year? Well, I've got to talk to my better half about that. She... Mm. <laughs> She's beside him. She wants to say something. I'm sorry. 
Sorry, I'm Loz. I don't know your name. I'm sorry. Andrew. Andrew. Are there many um, RC pilots that fly across the range like Clive does? What, as many different models? Yeah, that's right, like the jets and then the fixed wing. and There are. There are anybody that's been an avid aero modeler for a long period of time has generally dabbled in multiple different categories. So, and at the moment, I've got this saying that all roads lead to jets. So we've had a massive, <laughs> we've had a massive influx of pilots buying jet planes. I'll give you an example. A friend of mine who's got one of more, more than one of everything. He said, "Oh, I'm not going to buy a jet. I don't want a jet and blah blah blah." And the next minute, he's got five of them. So it's. <laughs> It's just yeah. it's like they're breeding, um, you know. As I said, all roads lead to jets. So, but yeah, I think it's a it's a consequence of if you've been in the hobby for a long time, you're always looking for something else to yeah. to try yeah, a and, a and challenge. Yes, yeah. and you you, you yeah. go to a flying event and you see someone flying a a scale plane. And you go, oh, wouldn't it be nice to build a nice scale plane? And then you see someone flying a jet and think, oh, wouldn't that be nice? And so before you know it, you've flown helicopters and scale planes and aerobatic planes and jets and you know gliders and you know that's why we mm. we end up. There's only one person that I've interviewed out of 157 episodes that only owned one model, and that was a pattern model because he was a pattern flyer, and that's all he was interested in was one model. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that sounds wow, great. that's amazing. That's very focused. I know, very focused. but <laughs> but that but you can only do that for so long, and then they. Then they go and buy a jet. So, so Clive's. Well, it's funny you should. It's funny you should say that about uh, that guy that wasn't going to buy a jet. I was in that same category. I said, "No, nah, I don't want to buy a jet." Mm. And it was Jason Starkey kept hassling. He said, oh, "Look, you know, we you you should get a jet. You know, you're a good flyer. We you know we only want people that can that are good flyers flying jets." And and I go, "No, I'm not interested. You know, it's too expensive, and you know, blah blah blah." And I'm happy with you know flying my. Doing my iMac and stuff like that. I don't want to. Don't want to do it. And uh, you know what got me in? Oh no! What? Was Wangaratta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Same with I, me. I was. Um, I tell you what, I was doing. I was. I was getting the Connie. I think the Connie mopped at. Uh, what's that club in between Wangaratta and Sydney? No. Okay. It, it, West the, of there. The State Field, Wagga. Statue, statue. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was Tim Nolan that was uh, mopping it because it was in giant category. Hmm. And um, someone said, oh, the Wangurata jets are on. I went, okay, I might pop in and have a look at that. And that's what did it. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the Wangurata jets and this the smell of the jet A uh, sound. And all these beautiful models all lined up in the pits, and then watching them, you know, scream around the sky. And yeah, that did it. <laughs> same with me. Exactly the same story. I went to Wang Jets, and I went, oh, "I'm going to be part of this." And someone said to me, "Why do you buy a jet?" It's because I want to go to Wang Jets, and there's no point in going to Wang Jets if you don't have a jet. So I better buy a jet. And then <laughs> I picked one up at a good price and crashed it at a terrible price. And um, <laughs> and then they've got. Oh, we've all been there. Uh, well, and now I've got two jets. Reason being is if one. Crashes, then at least you've got another one, another fallback to go and <laughs> go and fly. But 
I don't think actually I I don't think if I crash these ones up, I don't think I'm going to replace them. I think I'll probably because I do love flying my aerobatic models, my, 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 my you know three D models yeah. and stuff like that. So what what uh, aerobatic models have you got? Oh, well, I used to bring in the three D hobby shop brand of planes, sell them, and so I've got some. I've got a three D hobby shop uh, one hundred and four slick and a and a 108-inch extra 100ccs, both of them, or 120ccs, both of them. And then everything else I've got is like 30cc. I've got a 30cc, 75-inch extra, 72-inch extra as well. So everything oh, okay. is general. And I've got some smaller electrics. But generally... Are so you more 3D or are you into... Oh, no. I'm dabble in a basic 3D. But, I, you know, I like general aerobatics. So, you know iMac-y yes. kind of stuff and whatever. I, I'm like you. I, you know, I yeah. like aerobatics because I get bored easily and I like yeah. the attainment of skills. And with aerobatics, mm. every flight you're trying to improve your precision. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And so that's yeah. why. And and I like the flight envelope of, of those models as well that, you know, they're actually, yeah. I, I find them quite easy to fly because you can oh, fly them really I, slow I, and yeah, you can fly them really fast. So People, people uh, you know, Especially with the extreme flight um, one hundred and four, I got. Mm. They, you know, I take it and get a lot of the old guys and say, "Oh, that must be really hard to fly." No. And I say to them, "You wouldn't believe it, but this is probably easier to fly than your little scale Spitfire that you got." Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I always say to people, "Of course, it's easier to fly. It's been designed to fly. It's such a broad flight envelope." And um and tested a lot, especially with extreme flight. Like I've met the owner of the extreme flight, and he told me he said we've worked out our wing foils fifteen years ago. We know exactly yeah. what a wing foil needs to be. He goes, even our new models are following the same philosophy of the the, the wing profile that we've we know that works. So all well, we that, do that was the, the first manufacturer to include all the wing instances in the in the kits. Yeah. No other, you know, pilot and everything. I think pilot do it now, obviously, but. Back then, no other manufacturer did. It was some big that they had set up in the factory with a little old Chinese lady with a glue gun, you know. <laughs> and But Extreme Flight, they really were the first to get all the wing instances spot on. You'd like, uh, being a muser, you'd like um, Chris Hinson, who's the founder of Extreme Flight, and because uh, he plays actually, he plays guitar in a an oh. awesome Pink Floyd cover band. Like and when I and when yeah. I mean awesome, they are doing these gigs in the US that are getting like they're not small gigs. They're getting theaters. All right. Wow. And they've got the whole laser light show. And he's a mad keen guitarist. So we sp- I play guitar and we had massive chats about playing guitar. And he's really, wow. really keen on it at the moment. And but he's he started he was flying iMac in the late nineties and he yeah. was building his own models. And he had a mate that were build that was building models as well, and they used to have competitions as to who could build the lightest model. And so, imagine if you're you're going through that that thing because I was you know building them themselves sort of from scratch. That he put a lot of thought and gained a lot of knowledge about these planes, and then he he yeah. wanted to build them, you know, more mass produced kind of stuff, and. Um, and and that's that is why we see extreme flight planes flying the way they do it. It, it goes back twenty years of development, and yeah, and they fly so well. So everyone, well. no matter which extreme flight plane you're going to buy, it's going to fly well. And in saying that, they dragged the likes of a pilot RC and a Skywing and 3D Hobby Shop and all this kind of stuff. Dragged them all along because you know I've been in China with you know Tony Tan, the founder of Pilot RC, and Guys from Skywing and OMP models and whatever, 
and they all aspire to build a model as good as an extreme flight. Um, well, that's good that he, he set the precedent and then they have to follow, otherwise they'd fall by the yes. wayside. It, they've got the, the, the company that manufactures the extreme flight planes in China is also a very, very good manufacturer. They have a lot of um, great expertise. That you know, I found out spending time with these guys over there that they, in the US, they'll design the outer shape of the models. But then they work with the engineers at the factory to work out how to build it. So there's this, a lot of knowledge is sitting in their heads and in the computers of the guys in the factory that are working out how to build this plane light and strong and make sure it flies the way that it does. And so they start with an outline. They give that to the company. The company then does all the CAD modeling and blah, blah, blah of the airframe. They'll build the prototype. They'll send it to their team pilots or whoever, test it to see if they can break it, and then they might adjust wing lengths you know bring them in mm. bring them out so they might do a couple of different yeah. wings to see which one flies better um but wing cord and stuff like that or you know wing shapes and aerofoils they they sort of know um and and now it's really that they've taken to that next level with the the carbon fiber sandwich in, inside the, the model so and they dropped like when they did the 104 extra the version one to the version two the, the he chris Hinson told me the only real difference is a drop of about a kilo of weight. And he said, we don't want to get any lighter than that. Because he said, if you go lighter, the thing turns into a kite. So he said, we're happy with the with the, the stiffness and the lightness of of going one kilo lighter. But he said- I've still, I've, I've still got my version one. Yep. <laughs> it's the same It's the same plane. It's just a little bit, a fraction heavier. But it's, it's a kilo heavier. Like, that's it's it. All, mine's all wood though. I, I, yes. I want to get a new one. That's a, with the I carbon. I love all the, the new, how everything is just clicks together and- Whereas I'm yeah. sort of got 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 out the screws and all the quick connect wings and stuff like that. But do you know? It, well, I was in China when that was sort of coming out because Skywing did it first, and they had these magnetic pin systems for putting the wings in and the tail <laughs> surfaces as well. And it was phenomenal. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, "Have they ever fallen out? No, no. We've, we've been testing it. We've done hundreds of flights, and they haven't moved. Kind of thing. They just showed me. And then yeah. I, I was sitting there, and I'm saying, "Then Pilot RC did their own sort of kind of system." And I'm saying to the to the guy, the guy who owns the um, factory that makes the streamfly, I said, you've got to look at this quick next stuff that these guys are doing. He said, don't worry, we've got our version coming out soon as well. <laughs> all right. And so so one company did it, everybody said, oh, that's what we need next. And so they all started to do it. And mine is still all screwing um, as well. And, and I'm like, oh, if I just had quick connect because I'm just getting lazier and lazier. But, um, well, I think because I'm pretty well invested in jets, I've, I'm just happy with my version one at the moment. Because I, yeah, I every now and then I'll pull the version one out just to you know fly it, and it it does everything it's, I want it exactly. to do anyway. It yeah. flies beautifully. You know, it's easy to fly. It does all the routine that I want to do. Well, Clive, so, let's put it this way: you know, we've got to screw the wings wing bolts in. That's warming up our fingers, ready to fly. Where these people are just clipping things on when they go and take off, they're not warmed up. <laughs> So we can we can claim that. Yeah. Now, Clive, we've come to the end because we've covered a lot of yeah. ground and this is going to be a really interesting question because I don't yeah. know how you're going to answer this. But it's a question everybody loves to, to hear at the end and that is what has been your all-time favourite model that you've owned? Oh, God, they've all been. Oh, so you can't. Oh. Don't, don't go down there and give me the all. <laughs> it's the one. There has to be uh, one. Um, you know what? It, it still comes back. Even though I, f- I fly jets, uh, which I really love, uh, even though I fly aerobatic, which uh, I love flying aerobatic stuff, every time I fly that twin Cessna, it, it just, 
don't know what it is. It's, it brings me back to this is what maybe the hobby or modelling is about. It's, you know, when I take that to an event, everyone's just, they mill around and look at it and they love seeing it flying. And I think that's, that's what gives me the biggest buzz, you know, when I, I do fly it at those events. Um, so I'd have to say probably still the old 421. Um, I'm glad you picked that plane uh, because it is a beautiful plane and um, and it is a special plane as well. So And it's good that it gives you those vibes as well. But um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I could, I, I can't really say uh, my, the extra or crew or whatever, because they're so predictable and, you know, they're so easy to fly. Whereas the Cessna is a bit of preparation and a bit of love that you've got to go into. It's got to be maintained and, you know, all the retracts and, you know, and it's a big, big old girl. Uh, it's got I, character. I just, I just yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's got lots of character and the fact that, I've had it for so long and it just, it's a real crowd pleaser. So, yeah, I'd have to say the 421. Well, I think it's a very, very good choice and well done. And well done for building that model as well because it would have taken a bit of time to, to put that together. Yeah, so. it was. So, yeah. It, uh, many a, a headache to uh, work out how we're going to do this and do that. But uh, we got there. I think that's what we aero modelers like. We like we're problem solvers. You know, we like the challenge and trying to think about how we're going to solve that problem to get to a good outcome. And uh, I think that's what keeps us in it. Like when you think about the history of most aero modelers, especially back in the olden days before simulators and things like that. Uh, yeah. That the break the break fix cycle that it it fascinates me how much time people are willing to go through fixing models after crashing to go and do it again, <laughs> to go and crash another model. And yeah. like nowadays, we can't get another ARF kind of thing and we don't have to go through that hassle. But back then, you really had to put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into just being able to go to the field and have a model to fly. And I think that's why the, those modelers are still around like myself because you went through that phase. Whereas I find sometimes guys that come to the field with an ARF uh, that are new, and they crash it, some of them don't come back. And I think, and that's because they haven't had that true love of building something and then seeing it, seeing it uh, fly, you know, after they've put so much sweat, toil. It's a very different, it's a very different era that we live in nowadays. You know, I've got a, I've got this intern working for me at the moment and I just get, he's 24 and I go, your generation, you're all, you're all weird. Like, you know, he says he loves going to the gym and lifting weights and his Instagram, he's got photos of himself with his top off. And I said, my mates and I would never have sat there and, you know, I said, I would never have thought of taking my top off, take my photo of myself at the gym, flexing muscles or something like that. Not that I could, people would want to it's see that. It's a different that. world. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, it's what we do. I'm like, oh, it's a different world. You're all weird. <laughs> yes. But anyway. All right. Excellent, Clive. Well, it's it's been a pleasure hearing your story, and I'm glad I've got it on record. And I hope to see you at a flying field somewhere. I'd love to see you Sukhoi at the Wang Jets event. If flying in yeah, formation well, uh, with Mark Taddy, uh, imagine that. Well, well, no, well, that's what we're thinking. If I can make it, the guy from Queensland, which I wish I could remember his name, he's bringing his down, so, and I've actually and Mark's agreed to doing a formation with me one day. There you go. So if we could get three of those in the air, imagine that. Oh. I'm, I'm trying to... I'm Not sure. just the, the, with the visual thing, the sound of three 
well, you got six turbines going oh, down the street. <laughs> that would be see now. I'm well, I'm going to be there. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm just I'm going to remind you of the dates because I've got the flyer sitting here. My birthday too. I'm twenty ninth of March. No, something. it's not. It's the fourteenth to the seventeenth of March. Oh, they moved it. Oh. They brought it back. It used to be later in March, early first week or last weekend of March. Or are you? Is your birthday the 29th of March? No, mine's the 30th. Oh, my son's the 29th of March. But um, 14th. Yeah, <laughs> Aeroflot Aries. <laughs> 14th to the 17th of March is the Wangaratta Jets event. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's interesting. All right. Good. So get the plane ready. Fix the elevator up. And um, oh, it's fixed. <laughs> it'll all be good. Tyson might even be there. You can recertify it for you. Yeah, be yeah, because there's not many mammoth um, mop guys around, is it? Yeah, but the, at Wang Jets, there'll be some for sure. Definitely, will be yeah. saying. I'm a, I'm a, I, I just got my uh, gas turbine rating, so which is good, finally. Excellent, well done. So that means you can inspect models. You're a legend. Thanks, Cliver. Thanks for joining us here on the Flat Out RC podcast. My pleasure. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted, and what an episode it has been. A big thank you to Clive Hodder for joining me. Uh, I had a good chat off air as well with Clive and his wife. Got to thank his wife for uh, joining, uh, jumping on board as well. I always love it when. I'm interviewing a guy, and in, they might have it on, um, you know, their laptop and the, the the speaker, you know, the sound coming through the speaker, so they can hear me talking in the chat that we're having, and that, and, and the wives like to butt in as well, and I love that. So if I'm interviewing you in the future, and your wife wants to have a chat as well, it's a family affair here at the Flat Out RC Podcast. It's all fun. There's no real strict rules here. I don't have any rules. I just have a chat. So I hope you're enjoying it. If you're not, don't listen. If you are, or no, if you don't like it and you've got some suggestions, please tell me what I should do and I'll uh, see if I can accommodate uh, them if I can. Uh, but anyway, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, don't forget to like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. And whilst you're at it, subscribe at the Flat Out RC, podca- uh, Flat Out, Flat Out RC Facebook page and Instagram page. Oh, I forgot to mention, I've got a new YouTube video up that I shot at, a ch- at an event at a Chuka last year. I've been a bit slack with the video editing, but I thought, you know, I was bored one night and I went, what am I going to do? I've got this video to edit. So um, just a bit of fun, really. It's not, nothing too serious. But jump on board to the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and take a look at some of the videos. There's some pretty good ones I do like. There's, if you haven't seen some of the videos that I shot um, 2017 and 18 in China, go and have a look at them. I know you, you might have come in recently to Flat Out RC, but there's some old stuff there with my mate Ido Segev. Rest in peace, Ido Segev. Um, in uh, in China and um, just documenting, like vlogging the events there. They're, they're a bit of fun. So thanks for joining me. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. I'm not sure who we're going to have, but we'll have a guest on and I'll talk to you then. Enjoy. Enjoy.